All right. And speaking of Bibles, if you'll open yours to uh, Exodus chapter 3. That was a transition. Did you catch that? That's what those are. Those are trans- Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. So we continue on in this story, this grand redemption story of God who has who has promised to his people that he would make them into a great nation, who has promised them a land, who now finds his people in bondage, in slavery in Egypt, and he is calling out a mediator, one who will go in and deliver the people out of the land of bondage and slavery and take them to this new land that he's promised. And he's keeping his promises, and and yet in the middle of his promises being kept, Oftentimes, we feel like God is a little too slow for us. Agree, disagree. Sometimes it seems like God's just not on our timetable. Sometimes when God says, I promise, we think it should be done right now, and he waits 400 years. But he is not slow to keep his promises. He is working out his plan and his redemption plan for his people. And so what God does in the middle of all of this is he's working by his providence and his sovereign hand. He draws Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's household, as a Hebrew child who was raised now as the grandson of Pharaoh. He is brought now out of Egypt to go back into Egypt. But in order for Moses to be changed, he's going to have to be humbled. He's going to have to be brought to a place where he really empathizes and sympathizes with God's people. And then the final step is that God will reveal himself to Moses so that Moses will know from where his help comes. See, oftentimes we think we have the power and the ability. We have the sufficiency within ourselves to accomplish the task that God has called us to. But when God calls us to a task, it's not just that he's going to equip you for that task. He's going to be the sufficiency for that task. There's all kinds of phrases and sayings that go around, Christianese type sayings that go around. And, you know, one is God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's just a lie. That's the whole point of the gospel is you can't handle it. Right. He's going to constantly give you things you can't handle because he's handling it. Right. He he doesn't just call the equipped. He equips the called. Man, that that'll preach. Right. problem is he equips people sometimes before he calls them and sometimes he equips them after he calls them and so it's just really confusing sometimes how god works so we think we can put him into little nuggets sometimes but we can't instead he shows up in burning bushes right he shows up in the middle of the wilderness actually i take that back on the western part of the wilderness he shows up on a mountain in a quote unquote burning bush and he shows himself in his glory, this little bit of God's glory to Moses. And Moses, as we read earlier in the chapter, Moses turns his face. Moses looks away because he understands that God is revealing himself. He's revealing his eternal nature, his transcendence, his holiness, his unchanging nature, his self-sufficiency. But what he's really revealing is that he's not a distant God. He's a God who's transcendent and over all things, but he's a God who draws near to his people. He's a God who hears and sees and knows what's going on with his people and a God who shows up in order to deliver his people. And that's good news for us, that God hears us and knows our plight, knows the struggles, sees and acts because he comes close to us. Now in verses 11 through 22, we see God revealing himself now with words. What he's revealed already through the image of a quote-unquote burning bush, the bush that was on fire but not burning, 
this eternal flame. He's done that in picture form. Now he's going to reveal himself through words. And I want you to see that in God's words. So beginning with verse 11, we'll read through verse 22. It says this, but Moses said to God, okay, that's never a good way to start. Agreed? Let's go back to verse 10 because I want you to see what is Moses but Godding. You ever you have kids like that? Anybody else have kids like that sometimes? Where I need you to clean your room. But dad, but mom. Anybody? It's not just mine, right? Okay, good. All right. What, right so here, here's the deal. Moses has been told outright, this is what I'm calling you to do, Moses. God, the living God, the author of creation, the sovereign Lord of the universe, speaks to Moses through a burning bush and says, I'm going to send you there to take the people out of Egypt. And he goes, but, but, but God, we're going to get a lot of these but gods from Moses throughout the passage over the next couple of weeks. But here's what he says. Don't be caught in this situation. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I'll up your butt and go say one more butt, right? Here's your butt. I'm going to raise you one. You ready? Here's what it is. But I will be with you. That's a really good phrase, isn't it? But God. No, 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 no. But I will be with you. It's a really good moment where God is saying, here's your hope. Your hope is not how much power do I have? How can I do this? It's that I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you. You're going to come back here one day. Well, what kind of sign is that, God? Why can't you give me like a rainbow like you gave Noah? How about I get a sign like, you know, I mean, with Abraham, you like cut open a whole bunch of animals, and he walked through it. You got this really cool thing that like floated through with the lantern to show the covenant. You're telling me my sign is I got to wait and trust? That you're going to bring me back here? What kind of sign is that? But isn't that the way God is with us as people? Oftentimes he looks at us and he says, I tell you to do this and I'm going to be with you. Now, the sign that it's going to happen is it's going to happen. And I think the rest of the passage is unpacking that. That God is saying to Moses this simple reality. I said it's true, so it's true. And we as God's people need to be reminded of this, that when God is revealing himself, he's revealing himself for a purpose. He's revealing himself to demonstrate his promises. He's revealing himself not just because, hey, I want to show up, but because he's got a purpose in doing so. So God here is revealing himself for a purpose, and that purpose is the redemption of his people from bondage. That's how he starts. He says, I will send you to Pharaoh, verse 10. I will be with you. And you're going to bring the people out of Egypt. And you shall serve God on this mountain. God revealing himself for this purpose. Redemption from bondage. He's redeeming them not because they're such an awesome people. This is all by grace. Remember who the people are that he's going to send Moses to redeem. They're the same people that just after leaving Egypt are going to go, it'd be better if we went back to Egypt. What kind of leader are you, Moses, that you would lead us out here to die? What kind of God is this that he would bring us out here to die? They're going to moan. They're going to complain. In fact, only two of them are going to make it into the promised land. These aren't the people that you want to lead. But God is going to redeem them. Why? Because he's a God of grace. He's going to redeem them 
out of bondage and bring them out of the land of Egypt. What's God up to here? What God is up to here, up to here is he's revealing himself as the holy, omnipotent, glorious, unchanging, eternal God who is full of mercy and grace. He's not going to leave his people in bondage. You may be here today and you may say, when's my deliverance coming? I need that deliverance. And I want you to hear me very plainly. If Jesus has said it's going to happen, it's as good as it's done. You may not be experiencing the full reality of it yet, but the hope that it's going to happen, it's because Jesus said it's going to happen. The question for us is, is that enough? Is it enough that God says it's going to happen for us to believe that it's going to happen? We, we love signs from God, don't we? I mean, Jesus himself said that he didn't give himself fully to the people around him because they were constantly just acting, asking for another sign. They're like, when's your next miracle, Jesus? His own disciples, right, they say, after the resurrection, so is this the time when the kingdom's coming? He just rose from the dead. And you're looking for the next one? He says, it's not for you to know that. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. Do we trust God enough to trust him at his word? This is the point of God revealing himself, that he has a purpose to redeem his people from bondage. But he's also revealing himself with a promise. He makes a promise. He made a promise in the past that he would redeem his people, that he would make them into a great nation, that he would make them into a blessing for all the families of the earth. He even made a promise that when they go into Egypt, he'll bring them out of Egypt. He's made this promise, and he's going to keep this promise. And he gives a hint towards that as you continue the passage. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am, up, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God reveals himself as the 
unchanging, unchangeable God to reveal his promises that he made in the past are going to come true in the present and the future. Let me put it this way. This is a really important concept for us. Promises are only as good as the character of the one giving the promises. People have made promises to you before that they've broken, right? And when they break them, what do you question? The quality of the promise or the quality of the promiser? You begin to question people's character when they make promises and they break them, right? Because promises are only as good as the character of the one who makes the promise. So how good is God? Let me, let me take it a step further. If he is eternal and unchanging, his promises are eternal and unchanging. That's how good his promises are because that's how good he is. So if he made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the past, then those promises for the Israelites were true in the present, and those promises for us are true in the future. Why? Because our God is eternal. He's transcendent. He's past, present, and future. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means his promises are secure. His promises are not secured because we get circumstances that seem to work out every once in a while. His promises are secured. Why? Because he is eternal, unchanging, and good. We can trust him. The question for us is, do we? But here's the great grace and mercy of God. Although he wants us to simply trust him, he also tells us, here's how I'm going to work it out. So he doesn't just say, trust me. He says, here's some things you can watch for along the way to show that my promises are true, that I am working out my promises as the eternal, unchanging God. What's the first one? The first one is the elders of Israel. So what's Moses supposed to do? Moses says, what am I supposed to tell these people? Who sent me? So God reveals a name to him, and then he says, I want you to go to the elders and tell them something. What does he want them to say? What does he want Moses to say? Go and gather the elders, verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. So he says, go tell them the promise. Go tell them that I'm the one who sent you. And then he says this, verse 18, and they might listen to you. Is that what your text says? Because if it does, get a new Bible. What does it say? I will. They will listen to you. They will listen to you. Reminder, who are these people again? These are the elders that would come to Moses in the wilderness and say, we don't like that, whatchamacallit, manna bread that keeps coming from heaven. We want some meat. Give us more. Hey, we need water now. Hey, we don't like the direction we're going. These are the people that would say, no, 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 let's not go into the land that God has promised us. We know he brought us out of Egypt, but I don't think he could actually take care of those people because they're too big and too dangerous. These are the people that will believe Moses when he speaks. How does that happen? Because they're not going to believe another word he says for the next 40 years. These are the people that won't make it into the promised land because of their rebellion against God. So what's God doing here? He's saying, I can take a religious heart that is stone cold towards me and I can make them listen. 
Isn't that just good news? Because how many people do you know in your life that grew up in church and yet have walked away? Can God change them? Only God can change them. He doesn't say, hey, Moses, I want, you to come, here's, I want you to come up with a really clever argument. I want you to come up with a really clever demonstration to prove to them. He says, no, no, no. Tell them who I am and that I said I'm going to do this. And they'll believe. We have a simple gospel to proclaim to the world. But praise the Lord, our God is not simple. He's powerful and glorious. And he can work even in a, a heart that's inoculated against the gospel. That they've heard it so many times that it doesn't even seem to matter to them anymore. He can work in their lives. So the first way God shows that his promises are going to be kept, his promises are working, is the elders are going to hear and they're going to believe. The second is, let's up the game a little bit more. Then I want you to take the elders, and I want you to go to the king of Egypt, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to say, hey, Pharaoh... We got a favor. Can we leave? You know, your whole slave workforce. Can we just take off so we can go worship our God? And what does he say? Pharaoh, in his own will, will say, Sure! Sounds like a great plan. No, what does the text say? It says, I know. Well, I love that. God is speaking here. And he says in verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will. I will stretch out my hand and I will bring wonders upon him. And when I do that, he will let you go. Not only is God going to show himself in power in order to deliver the people, then he's going to go one step further and provide for every need that the people are going to have for the next 40 years in the wilderness. And beyond that, everything that they end up looting from the Egyptians, he says it here. He says, I'm going to give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So you're going to go to the person in your house. You're going to go to your slave owner. You're going to go to the neighbors, and you're going to say, hey, give me your stuff. And they're going to go, sure, just get out of here. They're going to give you their clothes. They're going to give you their jewelry. They're going to give you everything you need. And then when you get to the desert, you're going to build a tabernacle, and I'm going to need some gold. Whose gold is that? It was the Egyptians' gold. Where did all the tapestries come from? The Egyptians. Why? Because God owns it all. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we forget that even the people who would thumb their nose at God and say, no, no, this is mine, it's not yours, God. He goes, no, it's mine. And I'll do with it as I wish. I praise the Lord he does that with me. Because if it was up to me, If he kept looking at me as the great wooer of my heart, and just like the prince's bride kept saying, as you wish, I'd be dead and gone by now. What does he do? He fights and delivers. He's mighty and strong. He's powerful. And he takes the will and he bends it to his, and he makes and remakes people. He compels people by his name and by his power to accomplish his purposes. Because God is eternal and unchanging, his promises are secure and he can use the hardest of hearts to accomplish that, including yours and including mine. 
including your neighbors, including evil people in the world. There is no one too far gone for God. He can change hearts. He can change people's lives. So what's God doing here? What he's doing is he's drawing for himself. He's gathering a people to worship and to glorify him, to take them out of idol worship and to bring them to a place of worshiping him. What's the goal? He says, I'm going to bring you back to this mountain and you're going to worship. When you tell Pharaoh, tell him you're going to go worship. God is worthy to be worshiped. And when he looks at the Egyptians in this situation, it's not just that they're slave owners, it's that they're worshiping false gods. The danger of the Israelites in Egypt was not just that they were under great stress from being slaves, it's that they were in a foreign land with a foreign god, and that they were under this oppression of the spiritual realities, and they could not see God in all of his glory because of the spiritual oppression. So what does God do? He says, Believe me. Believe me and I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to bring you to a place of worship and you're going to be my people as I've designed as I've designed and always desired. Because God is worthy to be worshipped and he's drawing people from all over the world today in order to worship him. So I just want you to see today who this God is. Because God is making promises and keeping promises, but he bases these promises and the security of these promises not on the circumstances that are around us. Look, the the plagues that are coming are simply a sign from God to accomplish his purposes. They're not meant to be the thing that we look at and go, oh, now I know God can do it. Now, what, what the people of faith should be able to say is, God said it, I believe it. That's what faith looks like. Because we're more blessed when we believe without seeing. But I praise the Lord for his great mercy that he also sometimes allows us to see. But he calls on us to believe even without seeing. So who is this God? So for the remaining time, I want you to see who this God is today. Because this is the central reality of all of the promises made and all of the promises kept. Who is this God that keeps his promises? That makes promises to generations and keeps those promises? So when Moses asked the question, verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, they already had a name for God, a name that had been revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord, it's in your Bible probably in all caps, right? This is the covenant name of God. Okay, the covenant name of God had most likely been revealed to these people. They knew of the Lord. They had been worshiping the Lord. They had heard of the Lord. What is God's name and how is he going to reveal himself? So he does it in two ways. He has two names that he reveals. One is, I am that I am. And then he repeats it as, I am. The second is, the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he reveals himself in these two ways in order to help us understand what he's up to and what his purposes are and how trustworthy he is. So here's what Moses says. What's your name? What what name do I give them? And this is what he starts with. Why do you need a name? You can almost hear the, the frustration in this. Moses, I am that I am. How is that not enough for you? I showed up in a burning bush. 
I am that I am. But I think he's got a, a second reality here. Not only is he putting into verbal form all the things that he's showing him in the burning bush, that he's eternal, ever-present, all-powerful, but I think he's also showing Moses, I'm everything that you're not, Moses. Because what did Moses ask in verse 11? But Moses said to God, who am I? Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh? And what does God say? But I'm going to be with you. And then Moses says, but what's your name? I am that I am. Moses, this isn't about who you are. This is about who I am. That's got to be enough for us. That God is everything we are not. God is self-sufficient, and that makes him sufficient for his people. Moses, you say, who am I? I'm insufficient for this task. I can't accomplish this. And God goes, yeah, I know. I am. Not you. The Apostle Paul understood this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Believer, today I need you to hear. You are not sufficient for the task he has called you to. There are 7.1 billion people in the world. We are not sufficient for the task of reaching them with the gospel. But we have I am who says I am sufficient. Is he enough? Do we believe that he's going to accomplish his purposes? Do we believe that what he says is true? Because he looks at us as his people and he says, I am. You don't need signs. I am. I've come down to you. I'm with you. I am. But is he enough? So he goes one step further because he is a gracious, merciful God. At this point, I'd be done. I'd be done with Moses and said, enough questions. You're done. Like, just go. Like, either go or don't go. But I just, I'm done with you. Like, no more burning bush. I'm like, bush can go back to being a bush. But God is merciful, far more merciful and far more gracious than I am. So he goes a step further. And he says this. God also said to Moses, verse 15, say to the people of Israel, the Lord. This is the name. This is the covenant name of God. Say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This covenant name of God that connects God's people to himself. He reveals himself to his people for his people. Look, the fact is, there are people in this world who will never believe that the Lord is God. As sad as that is, there are people who will never believe that the Lord is God. But when God reveals who he is, he awakens people to become his children, to become his people. To trust him as this covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He's the same Lord who is my shepherd, Psalm 20. Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It's only those who know him as Savior, who have been redeemed, who can proclaim that he is the covenant-keeping God. 
and a great king above all gods. Verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's a faith aspect to having that relationship with the Lord, our covenant God. It's only his people who have that relationship. He is God regardless. He is Lord over all. But he's Lord in a covenant, keeping a covenant-making sense only with those who are by faith in him. And we must come to terms with the fact that God has revealed himself by his mercy and grace to us in such a way that we would believe. What a privilege. What an act of tremendous mercy for God to allow us to know him in this way. That he would draw near to us. That we would get to know him fully. He revealed himself in creation so people are without excuse. He's revealed himself in his mighty acts of redemption. Everything from saving Noah from the flood to saving the Israelites out of Egypt. That people would know that he is a God who saves. He's revealed himself in his word through the law and through the prophets. But it's only by faith in Jesus that we can see him fully and finally. God reveals himself fully and finally in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. Long ago it Many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God reveals himself fully and finally to us in Jesus. So that now we know our God is not distant, but our God is drawn near. And we've beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals and fulfills this covenant, these promises from God that he will be with us as our God, that he will be our God and we will be his people. He, he reveals and fulfills these promises of God for his people. And he does it by defining himself as the I am. As the Lord God, as the one who is our I am, that he is God in flesh. Think about it. John's gospel is full of this. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Our God reveals himself. Our Jesus reveals himself to his children in this covenant relationship to say, you don't need anything other than me. No more signs. No more wonders. None of those. You have me. Your good shepherd has drawn near to you. And I am with you. And he promises that he is with with us always, even to the end of the age. I mean, even the people who rejected Jesus as Messiah knew he was claiming to be God by what he was saying and what he was doing. In John chapter 8, he says this to the Jews around him. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, you want to guess the next two words? I am. And they went, Well, that's quaint. You know what they did? They picked up rocks and tried to kill him, to stone him, because they knew that if it wasn't true, it was blasphemy. 
Even those who rejected Jesus knew what his claims were. And those of us who are by faith now understand that Jesus demonstrated the, his love and his power and told us who he is as God in flesh so that we would know that he has the power to save. Mark chapter 14, even as he was under trial, he says this. He remained silent and made no answers. And the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Our Jesus demonstrates the power of God to save because he is God in flesh. He's fulfilled now all of the promises that were given in shadow. He, we now see in their fullness in Jesus. And even God's plan in chapter 3 that he would bring back his people out of bondage They've they've been brought out of bondage by his ability to save, but they've been brought to worship him. God demonstrates the same thing through Jesus. Jesus here demonstrates God's plan to be worshipped in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, let me, let me just tell you as plainly as I can, God doesn't show up in burning bushes anymore. Because in Jesus, he's shown us himself fully and finally. He doesn't just show up in circumstances. He's shown up in the person of Jesus so that you and I would believe so that we would not look for more signs but we would see the one who has paid our debt who has lived the sinless life that we could not live and died a sinner's death to pay for our sins to become sin for us that we might have life in him and believer i want you to hear this too stop looking for burning bushes constantly looking for a sign from God that what he says is true. He says to us as believers, I am. I am. So believer today, don't look for burning bushes. Instead, look to the baby in a manger, fulfilling all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Look to the perfect Son of God, Look to the Word made flesh, revealing the Father's glory to us perfectly and finally. Look to the Lamb on the cross. Look to the risen Savior. Look to our great High Priest. And then look forward to seeing Him face to face. When we will know as we are known. When we'll be in His presence and we won't have to take off our shoes because we're on holy ground. Because we will be made now, remade into the image of Christ. That we'll be able to be in His presence with no fear or shame. We won't, but God, but God, but God will honor and worship Him. Because He, the eternal holy God, has made payment for our sins. So that all who repent of their sins and trust Him as Savior and Lord will be welcomed into His presence forevermore. Aren't you longing for that? No more shame, no more fear in the presence of the Lord. Where we'll, we'll, we'll cry out, holy, holy, holy. But we won't do it out of fear. 
We'll be in His presence forever and ever. Where all of the promises of they will be my people and I will be their God will come true in their fullness. Believer, that's what we have to look forward to. But here's what we do. We know that 2,000 years ago, and even when the New Testament was written, He made those promises. And so we stand in 2019 and we go, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign. We want a sign that it's true. And he goes, um, I said it 2,000 years ago. Isn't that enough? Because I am said it. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he tarries for another 1,000 years... What he said 2,000 years ago will be just as true and just as trustworthy. We just want God on our timetable, don't we? But sometimes, just like the Israelites in bondage in Egypt, it takes 400 years. I'm like a 10-day guy. Sometimes God works in decades and centuries and millennia to accomplish his purposes. So the question for us today, do we trust him enough as the I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that his word is true? Because if it is, his commands are true as well. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who makes promises keeps them, and the God who makes commands deserves that his people would follow them. So what will it look like for you today, believer, to believe that Jesus is I am, that God is who he says he is? What will it look like today? Danny's going to come up here, and we're going to have a time of commitment, a time of response as he sings. This is just going to be a time for us to reflect on who God is. And if you're here today and you say, I, I've never quite believed that God is who he says he is. I I like the idea of a God who loves me. I'm just not sure if I can handle all of God. He's a lot to handle. He's a whole lot to handle. Because he's not meant to be handled. He's bigger than that. He handles us. So don't try to handle God today. It's not the way it works. Ask him to handle you. To bring you to a place where you believe. To bring you out of this hard-heartedness into this, I, I want to I believe, I want to follow. If you're here today as a believer, trust him. I don't, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. I know some of your stories and what's happening in your lives right now. But what I do know is his promises are true. And they're not true because I like them. They're true because he never changes. Father, I pray that you would use this time now to convict us and to draw us into more faith as you are worthy.